Accountability Podcast Responsibility for what's right Governance to the people Come on, get right here, we are working We got the latest tea Great leaders in the making Everything you need to know about governance Right here Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Accountability Podcast I'm your host, Kibo Ngoi And today we have a special episode for you all about climate justice Climate justice refers to the fair and equitable treatment of all individuals and communities, particularly the most vulnerable and marginalized, in the context of addressing and responding to climate change. It recognizes that the impacts of climate change are not distributed equally, and that certain groups such as low-income populations, indigenous peoples, communities of color, women, and children are disproportionately affected by the consequences of climate change. Despite contributing less to the underlying causes of the problem, climate justice is also one of four priority themes outlined in the lab's strategy for 2023 to 2026. I'm joined by four incredible guests who will be sharing their insight on this topic with us, and I'd just like to start by introducing them. Firstly, we're joined by Preksha Bimali, a program officer at Accountability Lab Nepal, along with Urusha Lanzao, who participated in EL Nepal's Climate Fellowship a program we're going to be hearing a lot more about today. We're also joined by Grace Sinaga, who is the Communications and Knowledge Management Team Lead at the Global Partnership for Social Accountability. Also from the GPSA, we have Ben Bakalovich, who is an Operations and Strategy Analyst. So to kick us off, I'd like to start by bringing Preksha into the conversation. Preksha, thank you for joining us today. I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about the Climate Fellowship that your team undertook in Nepal. And particularly, what was the vision behind the fellowship? So about climate change, I guess we all here could agree that climate change is one of the global challenges, right? So when it comes to Nepal, the climate change had hit Nepal hard as well. We have already started seeing its impact in the form of change in weather patterns, the extreme weather events, and the climate-induced disasters, be it flood, landslide, etc. In turn, has also further affected the basic needs of people, the availability of food, clean drinking water, and other aspects of uh, life and livelihood of people. Nepal is also one of the uh, most vulnerable countries to climate, one of the fourth most vulnerable countries to climate in this disaster. Considering all these impacts, uh, if we look much deeper into the impacts, we can further see that these impacts are not gender neutral. Impacts on women are far more deeper, and it only contributes to increasing the already existing gap that is there in the society. But all these impacts, these differentiated impacts, is really considered and really reflected in the planning and programming combating the climate change. So we uh, started exploring and working more about this issue because if we are uh, to advocate about the climate accountability or the climate just society, it is very necessary that we only consider the differential impact it has been causing to the certain section of society, right? So we started having lots of discussions and consultations through our platforms as a policy park where we could bring in the experts, youth networks and community together and actually uh, discuss and uh, study about how the impact of climate change is tra- actually translated and felt in the community. So um, following this series of discussions and dialogues, uh, we came up with the governance with the theme of climate change and climate accountability. So one of the uh, important aspects of the governance program or is the fellowship is bringing the youth and their ownership and their moment in this campaign. 
in governance, uh, what we do is we connect the ground realities and ground concerns regarding the impacts with the local authority. And here the youth would act as that connecting loop between the community and the concerned authority. This process, the youth who we also call as the fellows or the climate fellows, acted as the um, local change maker, as the change changing agent in the community. They would reach out to the community, they would concern the community people, talk and discuss about these issues and bring those issues and nature, amplify them through the creative uh, storytelling methods and mediums and connect them with the local government. So, yeah, one of the reasons was to have this uh, network of people, especially youth, who would not only find the problems in the society, but would also be there to uh, discuss and find out the solution, who will bring out a joint solution to the problem, and who are so much motivated and equipped with the tools of advocacy that they would continue this moment, they would continue this action of climate uh, justice and climate advocacy in their community and in their network. So yeah, that was the reason to have a very empowered citizen who would continue talking about climate change, who will continue finding solution to it with the joint effort. Thank you so much, Preksha. And I think Eyal Nepal is once again a pioneer leading the way for the rest of our teams globally. Eyal Nepal was the first network lab of Eyal established more than 10 years ago. And I think once again, your team is a pioneer for our translocal network, because I think a lot of our network labs around the world are going to be looking to learn from this model and have their own climate fellowships, because this is an issue that's relevant across the world. So thank you, Preksha. But right now, I'd like to move to bring Grace into the conversation. Grace, I'd actually like to speak to you about the GPSA perspective on what your organization terms as green accountability. I'd like you to tell me a bit more about that. Particularly, I'm interested to hear why you believe it's important for citizens to have a voice in terms of decisions and how this can be achieved in practice. On an organizational level, green accountability means elevating communities on the front lines of the climate crisis, like what Preksha mentioned earlier a powerful position in shaping climate finance and solutions because we won't be successful without them. That really resonates with me because growing up partly in Indonesia and Australia, I have seen and heard the power of community in terms of crisis such as natural disasters. When the Indian Ocean tsunami happened in 2004, many experts learned that a response which involves the communities has proven to be more cost-efficient in the long term, of course, with the supplement of strong leadership from the government. And the reasons are, first, the community-driven approach values speed over detailed planning, which is needed when it comes to reconstruction post-natural disasters. So flexibility and simplicity are the key elements. Second, once local communities' livelihoods are restored and people have become more empowered, they could then rebuild their future. Lastly, coordination, monitoring and transparency and activities and community information are critical to achieving effective results and preventing resources from being wasted or inappropriately allocated. And similarly in Australia, whenever bushfires occurred, disaster management experts have found that community-led action is more sustainable and effective in the long run. The indigenous people honor their land and understand that the eucalyptus trees need fire in order to reproduce. 
they have specialized reproductive structures called epicormic shoots. Um, and I'm not an expert in this, but I have heard about the importance of fire uh, when it comes to eucalyptus trees ever since I attended schools in Australia. At the same time, the indigenous peoples for many centuries in Australia have been managing and controlling bushfires in ways that are effective and safe for both their communities and forests, such as the cultural burning technique. Today, many local government officials, and like what I said before, even schools in Australia, recognize the value of traditional ecological knowledge through indigenous land management experts. But unfortunately, globally speaking, indigenous groups only receive 1% of climate finance, despite safeguarding 80% of the wealth's remaining biodiversity. And less than 10% of climate funding has been prioritized for local activities. This is why we need green accountability. Green accountability supports indigenous peoples and local communities like Jalari and Wuhan from Nepal in accountability lab videos by creating systemic ways for people to have a voice and role in the climate decisions that most impact their lives. It places citizens and civil society at the heart of climate finance to direct funding, implement solutions, and hold decision makers accountable for effective and equitable climate finance and action. Thank you so much, Grace. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm really happy that you brought in the component of how essential it is to involve indigenous communities in these conversations, because this is something that the rest of us who live in cities are only catching up to now. Addressing climate change is something that has been embedded in indigenous communities throughout their history. So I really appreciate you highlighting those strong examples from Indonesia and Australia. And as you mentioned, one of the short films that was produced through the Climate Fellowship in Nepal was about the Jalari community, an indigenous community in Nepal that is directly impacted by climate change and is now being involved in unique ways in addressing that. Speaking of which, I'd like to bring in Arusha, one of our climate fellows. Arusha, could you tell us a little bit about your experience working on the Climate Fellowship, particularly what you learned from engaging with indigenous communities like the Jalari about the role that they have to play in addressing climate change? One of the most valuable aspects of the fellowship was the opportunity to engage with the local communities, which included the Jalari community as well. This allowed us fellows to gain a clear understanding of the issues that were brought about by climate change. You know, when we interacted with local communities, we were able to dive into topics that were not given significant emphasis previously. These interactions provided us with a platform to listen to the perspective of the local people, which enabled us to bring forth diverse stories and experiences. So talking about the impacts of climate change are generalized. We are not, don't mostly talk about the differential impacts brought about by climate change to women and indigenous communities and other minorities. It was very necessary to communicate with these communities to understand from their perspective. We learned that people are facing different impacts which were not talked about before. Talking about the Chalari community, they are the indigenous uh, community residing in Pokhara. Uh, their uh, livelihood is dependent on fishing. So they sustain by uh, uh, fishing and uh, selling those fish. Uh, so when we talked uh, with them, uh, the con uh, while we had the conversation, we got to know that they have been heavily impacted by climate change. Um, you know, the water level in the lakes of Kokra Valley had been decreasing over the years. 
uh, which had reduced the number of fish in the lake. They had to introduce exotic species. The local species were going extinct. Also, we could learn that climate-induced uh, disasters like flood and land landslides contributed sedimentation of the lake, uh, which reduced the water level, which polluted the water, significantly affecting the Cholari community. Most of them are dependent on fishing. They don't have alternative means of livelihood. So it is very essential to address these issues, you know, provide capacity to them. Uh, research is necessary and uh, innovation, of course, is important to address these issues. Also, we had the opportunities to talk with the women of different communities. And in Nepal, most of the women are involved in uh, agriculture. So they have been heavily impacted by climate change as it has affected in the harvesting patterns, crop growing patterns. Plant disease has been introduced due to the effect of climate change. The production has been uh, directly impacted by climate change. Also, we could learn that uh, women had to walk for hours to fetch water uh, in, uh, you know, semi-urban and rural uh, areas around Pokhara Valley. So women had to spend long hours uh, fetching water, so they had less time available for other activities, you know, giving time for their family uh, and also in uh, involving in income-generating opportunities. So this restriction hindered their ability to engage in uh, better opportunities which was limiting their financial independence. They were not just facing physical burdens, but they were also facing the socioeconomic consequences followed by the impacts. We, in addition to learning about the direct impacts of various issues, we also discovered the integrate waves of indirect impacts. We came to understand how one problem could serve as a catalyst for other related uh, problems. These interconnected relationships, you know, enabled us to grasp the broader context and broader context about the issues. We could understand um, the issues which were not um, discussed previously, which were often overlooked by uh, people, by policymakers and concerned stakeholders. And by interacting with the local communities, we were able to bring forward diverse stories, which not just included the impacts on agriculture, but stories where people were impacted due to water scarcity, where women uh, involved in tourism were impacted. It was a great opportunity to bring forward the issues that had not been previously discussed. Thank you, Arusha. I think you and the rest of the fellows did a wonderful job of really capturing some of those stories that, especially for those of us outside of Nepal, we might not be very familiar with, but which are being replayed all over the world in different countries in terms of how communities are being affected by climate change. But now I'd like to bring Ben into the conversation. Ben, what is the GPSA thinking about the measures that need to be put in place so that climate finance or the money that's being earmarked by governments to address climate change is used responsibly? That's a quite great question. And I think it picks up basically also what Arusha was saying just now, that we have these issues around inequality, exclusion, injustice, and climate finance, and then climate action more broadly. The whole agenda is rapidly growing and it is picking up, and there have been more and more activities, countries, actors getting into the, into the mix. And you hear more and more reports of capture of land by international corporations that take land away from indigenous communities or, for example, rich countries that claim they are giving climate finance and in reality they're financing chocolate and ice cream stores across Asia. Or even at some points there was a report from Japan who was actually financing a coal plant and claiming it to be climate finance. 
So there is a lot of issues going on in climate finance more broadly because it is such a rapidly growing field and sector. And for us at the GPSA, as Greg has already outlined, it is really important to emphasize the people-centered approach and the local communities and, and civil society and really recognize their role as agents of change. I mean, I don't know where we would be in climate if we didn't have civil society. These were the organizations and groups that for years have been clamoring for more and faster climate action. And our work at the GPSA really seeks to emphasize that role and also use and harness that role to basically produce in the end more accountable climate finance. And we center that around transparency, participation, and in the end, accountability. And that means we need more transparency measures that clearly map out what is climate science, where is it going, how is it flowing, who is implementing it, and what is their clear end use for it. So that way, that would enable communities to better be able to track where climate finance is actually flowing. So, I mean, it's very hard to make these kind of assumptions right now because it's so much of this climate finance flow is so intransparent and there is so much greenwashing going on. So that's why transparency is key. We have a project, for example, in Kosovo that is doing that, that's working with the government to improve transparency and data-driven decision-making in the climate sector. And we want to see much more of these kind of projects. Then around participation, I think all three, Urusha, Grace, and, and Fretscher have all outlined really well where we need more participation of local communities and of indigenous groups of civil society, community body organizations, because these are the people that are most impacted by climate, then these people must logically also be the people that will actually be the ones implementing solutions, coming up with solutions. Local communities have a lot of knowledge that can be used for more effective climate action, both in mitigation and also in adaptation. And then lastly, on accountability, it's just about having governance measures in place that are used for avoiding corruption, have real oversight, allow for monitoring, tracking for effectiveness measurements. And this also really depends on the state and on the global and national level. So that's why the GPSA is not only looking to implement projects, but we're also looking to kind of influence the more global agenda to really talk about this pick up these stories, just like uh, Grace was telling or Usha was telling and emphasize that it is a people-centered problem, but we need global solutions also to fix this problem. And that's how we came up with the Green Accountability Initiative to really drive this agenda and the discussion forward and emphasize that we need more accountability in this area. Otherwise, climate action won't be as effective. Thank you, Ben. I totally agree that transparency is key. And making sure that these funds actually reach the right initiatives and reach the right people that have the knowledge to make sure that they are used wisely. Because a lot of money has been earmarked to address climate change around the world now. And we know what happens to funds when there aren't the proper measures in place to make sure that they're used responsibly. Now I'd like to bring Priksha back into the conversation. So Priksha, would you mind sharing with us a few more of the themes that were explored during the Climate Fellowship? And also just some of the outcomes that have come out of the program and moving forward what you plan to do next. Because I know you had shared with me earlier that the Jalari community is now actually being engaged by some of the local authorities. So can you just share a little bit about that with us? I'm glad that you asked this question. There are many aspects to climate fellowship for sure. Um, like Orisha has mentioned, there was definitely an issue faced by the indigenous community, especially about how they were directly affected and how the 
livelihood was challenged and they have not come to a vulnerable position. Apart from this, the films have also shown the existing inequalities and highlighted on the contemporary issues. For instance, the issue of migration. So migration in Nepal is very high and is at an, an alarming rate. Uh, the flow of youth population outside the country is really large and this population go abroad for seeking the employment. And one of the reasons um, behind this migration is is also due to uh, the disasters that was due to the climate-induced disasters, and this has led to the forced migration. So as the number of male are moving out of country, and uh, this number is very high, the women are left behind with the added burden of daily hardship and other induced challenges. And also we have realized that these issues are very contextual. Um, the local issues where I, during the time of fellowship and during the time of our study, we could see that the impacts in urban and rural setting were completely different. The issues at the rural setting had more to do with the livelihood and direct dependence on the resources and also an agriculture dependency. Whereas in urban areas, uh, the, more, the issues were more about sanitation and health in this urban setting, about pollution, the displaced population and as such. And in the time of fellowship, in one hand, we were producing films. We were amplifying the voices of local people, while on the other hand, we were also able to connect them with the local authorities. Like we were connecting the uh, local uh, issues with the people who are at the government, who could make decisions. So we were giving them the information and the evidences. So uh, that, that was also happening on the side um, in that very instant. The issue of Chalari community was also communicated to the local government. And the government has not only heard that, acknowledged uh, this problem, this issue, and has showing their interest in this issue. So the dialogue in upcoming days will be focusing on addressing this problem. So we are looking forward to it. And uh, now that we have made the films, you know, these films are used for uh, information, for awareing the people, and also for the advocacy. So we have already started the screening among the public. We have we are reaching out to the younger communities. Now we have screened the spaces in the very place where it was shoot, in the very place the issues that came from, and we're trying to reach out as many as as many people as we can at this moment. And uh, we are also planning for targeted screening where we could invite the content stakeholders and decision makers and use those films and, as an advocacy tool as well. Thank you so much, Preksha. Those are some great outcomes that have come out of the project. And I think just as a final thing for our listeners, if they want to learn more about the fellowship and watch some of those amazing films that your fellows produced, could you just let them know where they can do that? All the films are available on YouTube channel of Accountability Lab. There we have created a playlist with all, all the five films. This playlist is named as AL Nepal Climate Fellowship, or you can simply search uh, Nepal Climate Fellowship on the YouTube, which will lead you to these films. For more information, you can also follow the social handles of Accountability Lab. Uh, we are also planning to post some reflections and other outcomes of the fellowship there. Wonderful. Thank you, Preksha. So I think I'd just like to bring Grace in for the last time just to share some final thoughts from the GPSA perspective on green accountability and climate justice the issues that we've talked about today, and also just share with our listeners where they can find out more about the GPSA 
and especially the GPSA's work on green accountability. Absolutely. Thanks, Kibo. We believe that it starts with the green accountability call for proposals. By creating a space for green accountability, innovation, and experimentation, this call will first elevate the voices of civil society organizations pioneering green accountability, second, identify green accountability models that can rapidly, thoughtfully, and intentionally scale, third, build a coalition of like-minded organizations and individuals for a more coherent, comprehensive, and more powerful network of green accountability initiatives, and lastly, establish an advisory network to shape the emerging climate finance ecosystem so that it prioritizes transparency and participation like what Ben highlighted before. In parallel to the call for proposals, we are also actively seeking like-minded donors, organizations, and individuals like you, Kibo, Preksha, and Urusha to support innovative work and experimentation in green accountability because as we all know, the climate crisis is a global issue, so it requires proactive collective action. And thank you so much, Reksha, for sharing resources where we could find these videos. I feel like it's an amazing initiative to appeal key stakeholders' attention and highlight this issue to a bigger audience. And to answer your question, Kibo, how you could join the movement and help us spread the wet on green accountability, you could visit greenaccountability.org and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at GPSA underscore org. I also want to invite Ben uh, to chime in if he has other things in mind. Everyone keep spreading the word, keep talking about this kind of stuff about justice in the climate sector and then... We're already one step closer, but it's, it's a tough task of you, definitely. Thank you so much. I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. We could talk so much more about climate justice, but I think our audience has gotten a lot of valuable information from our guests today. Coming to us from across different time zones, from Washington, D.C., to Germany, to Kathmandu and Nepal. I would just like to thank all of you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Kibo and everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kibo. It was great sharing our experiences and learning from all. Wonderful. There you have it. To our listeners, thank you for joining us and reach out on info at accountabilitylab.org if you'd like to get in touch. We'd like for this podcast to be useful to the work you might be doing related to good governance and civic engagement. What topics or questions would you like us to explore? Let us know on email or on our social media pages and stay tuned for our next episode in the next few weeks. Accountability Podcast, the lab with the positive change now. Bright the future for you. Bringing change. We got the latest tea. Everything you need to know about governance. Right here. Right here.